Howdy. Welcome to the show so far. We're going to be talking about all sorts of fun stuff this week that I have no idea what it is because, well, our illustrious leader, Paul, is out this week. But we're going to have all sorts of fun. We've got uh, Kevin Donovan from uh, Observe IT here. Uh, We've got a whole bunch of uh, uh, co-hosts with us. We're going to have fun no matter what we do. So welcome to the show. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady, it's Paul's Security Weekly. I'm, of course, your host, Paul Azadorian, excited to be here, as always, on Paul's Security Weekly. Hi, and welcome to the show. I totally introduce our host right now, but I've got a totally awkward boner. What? Where? Oh, hey! I'm, <laughs> I'm in the studio with you guys. That's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> sounds like a plan. And we'll at least have one person listening. That's right. <laughs> Just yeah, yeah I, I know. And I appreciate it, and I, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed your spooning with Jeff. But, uh, you know. Hey, that's actually built a new office. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, third baby on the way, so I needed a new office. Nice. I, I, I lost my old office. That's now the baby room. Brought to you by Signal Sciences is the industry's first web protection platform that works in any cloud, any container, any platform as a service, and any modern application architecture. The Signal Sciences web protection platform can be deployed in next generation WAF, RASP, or reverse proxy modes, giving customers ultimate flexibility and coverage. Protect your web applications with Signal Sciences web protection platform. Signal Sciences, protecting applications, connecting teams. For more information, check them out at signalsciences.com forward slash PSW. The average time between being hacked and realizing you've been hacked is one year. Can you afford to let an intruder roam your network for that long? Can your company weather the fallout when this comes to light? Black Hills Information Security can find the bad guys in your network and train you to do it yourself. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to find out how a hunt teaming engagement can help you find a persistent threat in your network. And welcome to the show. But first, let me introduce you to our host this week. He's a man who describes himself in three words as tall, handsome, and a liar. Larry Pesci. Oh, hey, wait, that's me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Paul is Paul's not with us this week. He's uh, he's attending to some business, and uh, yeah, you got me. But you got others, folks, too. So, uh, welcome to Security Weekly, episode five hundred and forty-five. If I read the wiki correctly. January 25th, 2018, and I'm joined via Skype by some lovely co-hosts. First, Mr. Joff Dyer. Okay, Larry, it's good to see you. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I'm so disappointed Paul's not here for his uh, hostile Lies. takeover show. Lies. But uh, we're, we're going to have a good time with it, without a doubt. <laughs> You're upset he's not here. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Wait, that, I said that. Hey, hey now. Whoa. <clears throat> We're also joined by Mr. John Strand, at least for a little while. Yes, I'm going to stay and do the technical segment, and then I'm going to go uh, do the uh, the the dad SUV pickup children thing. Oh, uh, I'm disappointed you're not doing it on the technical segment, because that's always awesome when you do it. It's not it's creepy. You know what? I could next time. I'll just have my phone <clears throat> on the dash and be like, okay, and... Here's how you set up the command and get, get in the car, God Don't make it. me come back there. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, also, via Skype, Mr. Keith Hoodlett. 
Hello again. Can we be the advanced podcaster threat or something like that? Uh, is if we're going to have our hostile takeover anyway? Of course. No, it's uh, it's it's advanced persistent podcaster. App, yep, you heard APP. it here. Yeah, Live. you know me. Wait, what? Okay. And last but not least, someone that we haven't seen in some time, and we're glad he's back, Mister Carlos Dark Operator Perez. Hey, Larry. Happy to be here. <laughs> uh, and it looks as if you're back home. Yes. yes. I'm actually back home after uh, Maria, uh, the company, actually relocated me temporarily to Florida. So I had my wife and my three kids all in one small apartment for three long months and finally made it back home. And now... Uh, doing a ton of repairs and uh, working f uh, to get B-Size for Rico off the ground and the day after tomorrow. Excellent. Excellent, I Carlos. And I know you reached out to me via Twitter about some uh, some stuff in a private message, and it's still there unread so that I know that I need to respond to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't forgotten about you, my friend. Uh, no problem. All right. So with that... I love, uh, that, uh, I love that Carlos gets back from a hurricane... And the first thing he's like is like, okay, we first things first, folks. We got food water. All right, let's get the security conference off the ground. Priorities <laughs> are, as always, oh, yeah. Yeah. impeccable. Yeah, yep. yeah. The, the first two weeks was uh, home repairs, a ton of yeah. home repairs. Uh, front doors had to be replaced due to water damage. Two air conditioning units had to be repaired. Um, I actually had mold damage in my home office here. Um, actually had a water cistern that was damaged that got repaired today. Uh, there was some electrical damage as the, um, so far I would say about 40% of the island still doesn't have power, 40% wow. of the residents. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, uh, FEMA is, yeah, let me not get political, but <laughs> it, it hasn't, it hasn't been, I would have not graded an A the uh, the support that we've gotten. Uh, so all of those electrical repairs, we had a lot of power surges and a lot of stuff actually got damaged. Thankfully, all of my lab servers, all of that stuff were behind UPSs, so the only the UPS units got damaged. There you go. That's, That's what they're for. UPSs. That's what they're for. Good, good. All right, so moving right along before we uh, get into our uh, feature interview for the show, um, just real real quick, a couple of announcements done for the show. Um, check out our on-demand webcast material. We've got some previously recorded webcasts uh, available uh, at securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. Uh, currently, we have webcasts from uh, Cyber Reason, Black Hills, Anapsis, uh, Signal Sciences, and Stealth Bits. So go check out those when you have a chance. Um, check out IT Pro TV for an awesome library of uh, training uh, at itpro.tv forward slash security weekly and uh, upcoming conference that some of the folks are going to uh, InfoSec World uh, March 19th through 21st in uh, Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Um, you guys can get a 15% off InfoSec World uh, main conference pass with the code OS18-SW. So very cool. Um, I looked at those dates and thinking that they were going to be back to back with a SANS conference. And uh, unfortunately, they're not. They're like a month apart. And <clears throat> yeah, travel for March is uh, already kind of crazy. Um, and uh, most of that is just me teaching for SANS. So SANS Austin in March. 
So but. they now own you. I know what that's like too. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, they own you too. Yeah, I, I, I'm part of the club too, so I get that. Yep. Right. But uh, yeah, that, I should probably announce at some point when I'm teaching for Sands. Uh, I know I've got uh, Sands Orlando, uh, Sands Pentest Austin in March, Orlando in April, I believe, and sometime after April in Amsterdam. Uh, and I think I've got another one in there somewhere too. So, but I don't. I don't know where I'm. I don't know where I'm teaching. Just go to the Sands website. Look at my name. <laughs> and, and that's that's where you look it up to, John. That's yep. that's what we pay Sands to do. Exactly. So, but, but I I will tell you though, if we're gonna if we're gonna pile on where we're teaching, I've got uh, Sands Singapore coming up in March, mm. and uh, I'm also doing Sands Pentest Berlin in July, and uh, Virginia Beach in August, and London in September. So, woohoo, Joff, ping me Sweet. before you go to Berlin. I'll put you in touch with some folks that are excellent tour guides. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right. Without further ado, our special guest for the evening, uh, Mr. Kevin Donovan from Observe IT, uh, is uh, an insider threat expert and a senior solutions architect at Observe IT. And I'm Kevin, I keep pausing because I'm making sure that I try to say it properly, uh, uh, and I didn't do it that time. It's observe it, not observe IT, right? <laughs> we even <laughs> talked about this before the show. <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all, guys. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Awesome. I'm dialing in from the uh, Back Bay of Boston, but hopefully uh, next time I can uh, join you the, there on site in the studio. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the invitation is open anytime. We're here every Thursday. Try the veal. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Kevin, um, uh, at uh, Observe It, and uh, we're, I'm assuming we're going to have you talk about some insider threat stuff. Um, but definitely, uh, the, the first question that we ask all of our, our guests is, how did you get your start in the IT security industry? Yeah, so it's kind of a, a, a weird journey for me, and I'm noticing that's a, a bit of a common theme with <laughs> yes. those of us in this industry. <laughs> Uh, but with that being said, I, I actually was a programmer coming out of school and I, I joined a tele, large telecommunications organization. And there I quickly realized I, I wasn't it wasn't in me to be a you know tw a full time coder. Um, and I switched over to the professional services organization. And there I was tasked to help build, implement and design next generation 911 networks. And that's where I really immersed myself and really fell in love with cybersecurity uh, so fast forward a couple of years and a few certifications later and uh, a bit more of a journey. I'm, I'm here at Observe It, helping organizations uh, with their insider threat and, and data loss prevention strategies. Interesting. Interesting. So so tell us a little bit about uh, about what you do at Observe It and uh, tell us a little bit about what we should be thinking about for insider threats. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm a solutions architect. And, and like I said, I am helping organizations uh, with their uh, insider threat and data loss prevention strategies. And that's with both prospects and customers alike. So um, a lot of times uh, I could go into an organization and, and they might need to know, you know, where do I even start with insider threat? Um, and, and there's a big learning process, educational process there. And there are organizations that I work with that are very process mature and have a full fledged insider threat program. And uh, in, in those are both or types of organizations, uh, our solution is geared to help uh, detect these threats, uh, streamline the investigation process, and ultimately help these organizations get to a point where uh, we're, we're building a stronger data loss prevention policy and, and a stronger uh, insider threat program. Excellent. So in those organizations that aren't 
particularly mature. And you said it's a it's a long education process, and I know we don't have that long in the show. Um, <laughs> but you know, where do we start? Where do we start <laughs> dealing with the insider threat? Yeah, and and, and that's a, and that's a great question, and it's a question I get pretty pretty often, right? And uh, it's probably going to be weird coming from a vendor, but I always uh, I use an old adage, and it's probably kind of played out at this point, but but I'm full of, full of old adages, so I'm going to use it. But it's uh, people process technology. Um, and you have to realize, and I've seen it so many times in my career where people assume that a technology is going to be a silver bullet or maybe even a magic wand to fix all of their insider threat problems. So, so just, many times. <laughs> so many times. So just, so just blindly buy that technology and uh, cross my fingers and hope that it, it solves all these problems. Well, uh, it turns out it's, it's, that's not the case and that's not the way to go about it. And, um, so the first way to the first thing I always recommend is is do your research. And one organization who I'm a, a big fan of, if you're looking to uh, looking for some uh, late night reading material or or getting up to speed on the insider three uh, insider threat uh, world, uh, is Carnegie Mellon University and their CERT division. So um, I believe that they're spearheading the charge uh, in terms of the research of insider threat, and they have some uh, great stuff. So so start there. Um, and then as, as far as it goes for an organization, uh, you need a name first <laughs> and maybe insider threat program is, is not the right name, right? So maybe it's something that I can better align with your, with your business strategy. Um, and then elect a champion. Uh, you need a, you need a person to be able to drive this thing. It has to be someone, uh, well-respected and, and, and a leadership figure within the organization, uh, to start develop that plan, uh, put together a business plan for that program and ult- ult- ultimately um, build metrics and goals for this plan, right? Just don't blindly build it to say you have it. Put together a, a solid business plan and goals and metrics to, to measure the organization. And I think that's a, a great place to start. Excellent. And and Kevin, I think you you, you mentioned some things that were that were really, um, really telling. I went into the computer security field thinking, I'm going to do computers. And uh, I got a degree from college in business. And I think that business degree as my career advanced has done me more service than I probably care to admit because you mentioned a lot of things about, you know, starting an insider threat program um, in that you need to have a champion, you need to have buy-in, you need to have a budget, you need to have all these things to help those guys that like the little blinky lights and to touch the keyboard succeed. Um, And having some of that knowledge and how to talk businesses is amazing. Yeah, and I, I I completely agree. And um, I, I always say that security guys have to almost become better sales guys, <laughs> in some sense. And and what I mean by that is that you know you don't you don't only have to sell it to uh, like your manager or your boss or or to your peers within the organization. You have to be sell it to others within the organization to to get buy-in. So uh, I always say like insider threats a team sport. And something I, that always sticks with me uh, was one organization I was working with, and when they were acquiring our solution and. And the, this organization did it right is that they involve teams like their HR team, their senior leadership, their CISO, their CIO, even that the CEO was in the room. So having that level of buy in um, and being able to sell it to all parties in, involved in that insider threat program uh, is, is how I ultimately saw that acquisition of, of our tool and the implementation of, a, of the program to become ultimately successful. Awesome. You know, it's interesting. You, you talk about incorporating a lot of different parts of the organization. And whenever we're talking to our customers about uh, insider threat programs, one of the big things that I see a lot of organizations don't do correctly, and a lot of this comes from DOD and the intelligence community, is they don't have a very good tie into HR. Um, when when we were working at 
Northrop Grumman, uh, a lot of our actual insider threat tip-offs actually came from HR whenever you started having a lot of uh, personality issues. Maybe addiction came up, gambling addiction, alcohol addiction, or somebody had something happen at home, uh, relationship problems. But actually having those types of issues actually start manifesting themselves at work and put people at a higher risk metrics. And uh, I was wondering, have you dealt much with that about tying together things from HR back to security for trying to identify insiders? Yeah, yeah, and I think that a lot of successful programs uh, that that's that's exactly how they do it. And and if if you don't involve them, um, if, if a security admin sees something and then they need to investigate it, and they have all the technical control sets and capabilities to investigate. It, what I often find out is that it's not necessarily the security administrator's job to address what they're finding. So like mm -hmm. if someone, let's say for instance, is, is taking data from outside of the organization and, and trying to steal it, um, and these technical indicators have been observed, and, and no pun intended there, um, but essentially what, what, is, what is the security administrator to do? It's not like you should just run up to that person and, and tackle that person and say, hey, put it back, right? That's that's never going to work. And, and then what if it's an executive? <laughs> what if it's a it's a if, what if it's that individual's uh, direct report or direct manager rather? Um, you know, you have to work closely with HR to put together a, a formal process and, and really a response plan. So getting HR on board and having a, a tight web with HR is, like I said, it, it's just, it, it's crucial to the success of an insider threat program. Excellent. Hope that answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, so that that said, uh, the insider threat—you know—from a technical perspective, you can't, as you were mentioning, you just can't necessarily buy a blinky box and 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 have it do its thing. It requires some care and feeding, and should have uh, input from all sorts of other people in process. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, that's exactly correct. Yeah, and like, so you know, we've uh, we as a company, and if if I'm pitching our solution too much, don't be, feel free to kind of bat me over the head over the over the mic here. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, don't worry about it at all while I readjust my camera a little bit. No, no. You, might, you might go too far, uh, but uh, yeah, we're cool. Uh, just a little bit is fine, okay? <laughs> Shameless plug in now. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll do the same here where I, put, where I scoot up a bit and show the observer look. Wow, see, they That's... even took you off camera too, so that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, de de definitely. We want we want to understand um, a little bit about the product too. But um, and, and for me, as of this point, you're definitely talking more in general terms and are stuff that's applicable just outside of uh, out of your product. So um, sharing general knowledge with everyone is is absolutely awesome. And so yeah. de definitely tell us about tell us about observe it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the way that, that we that we go about it is we try to make it as uh, cookie cutter as possible. So we try to provide out of the out of the box indicators. That are industry agnostic to potential insider threats, um, but that but that's just a starting point, right? Uh, industries will be extremely different in terms of detecting insider threat. So, for instance, like a, a bank is going to be a lot different than like a technology company. It's 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 two completely different things. Um, insider threats are completely di defined differently in each individual organization. So there are certain indicators that you can look for. So, so for example, in our research that we find that the majority of data exfiltration attempts happen after working hours and even more so on weekends. So that's a type of indicator that the product can look for um, and will quickly identify that. 
but again, like um, getting more granular, more defined on on alerts um, is obviously very important, and it's it's pretty usually pretty unique to um, each organization that we work with. Mm-hmm. So, Excellent. I mean, dare I dare I ask the question? Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> how do you feel about threat intelligence feeds? <laughs> oh, you're just setting it off now, aren't you? Yeah. Joff uh, yeah. throws a grenade into the room and runs in the other direction. So yeah. tell us, how do you feel about threat intelligence feeds? Uh, so, <laughs> so, so as it, as it relates to insider threat, I think they certainly can be helpful because I've actually ex- seen some insider threat incidents where uh, I'm going to tie it, obviously tie it back to insider threat, but um, where people are being coerced on the, on the black market in the dark web. Um, so if, if organizations' names or client information is being uh, exposed on the dark web, I think threat intelligence certainly can play a role in an insider threat program. And, and one big step to an insider threat program is creating an, a, a technology hub, and an insider threat uh, technology hub to address insider threats. Uh, and in, in intelligence feeds are cert- threat intelligence feeds rather are certainly a, a piece of the puzzle that can help detect and identify and detect and eventually remediate uh, insider threats for sure. Excellent. I have a quick question. Uh, so Go for it, Keith. When it comes to with two things that kind of come to mind is first, how do you deal with the problem of SSL when it comes to moving traffic along? Are you guys doing any sort of like SSL stripping or like how are you identifying that someone is actually exfiltrating data if they're trying to encrypt that traffic on the wire? Yeah, uh, and great question. So we're actually on the endpoint. So we're before the encryption happens. And because we're actually we have an agent that goes on the endpoint, uh, we're able to detect data movement, uh, things like application names, processes. Uh, we have an entire metadata trail on um, users that are being monitored by our solution. Gotcha, gotcha. That's a that's actually a really nice, clean way of dealing with it. My other uh, side of it is, so I have a degree in psychology, believe it or not. So I'm curious to know if you've built almost like personality-based heuristics for the different organizations that you do work with. So for example, if it's a technology company with a lot of developers, I imagine that their behaviors meet uh, a more defined pattern than, say, an admin assistant or uh, someone that's in sales, for example? So that, that's a great question. Um, and what I've seen is that the investigators the inside, and mature insider threat programs are often very, uh, very well-versed and trained uh, in behavioral aspects of insider threats. Um, so our tool doesn't have the behavioral profiles in the sense of looking for like psychological indicators. And other outlying factors that may, may come up in a background check, like financial stressors and any other stressors that come from uh, come from day to day work. But the investigators that are uh, taking to the account that our tool collects um, certainly are, are very, like I said, very well versed and, and have a, a good body of knowledge in that. And that goes into their investigations um, uh, of potential threats uh, internally. Very so, cool. So very I'm, cool. I'm curious. Uh, just a generalized question. Uh, so how do you feel about uh, the application of artificial intelligence algorithms uh, in the information security space in general? Yeah. I'm, su- <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say machine learning too there, Joff. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's throw in a machine. That's the same thing. It's, it's, it's analogous. Okay, if else blocks so, all the way down. So I think the, techno- uh, the, the technologies are, are, are very early. Um, and I think I absolutely see the practicality and the, the, the I see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to say, um, and what these technologies are going to do for our industry. Um, but what I found in working directly with clients as it applies to insider threat is that 
these technologies are often a bit early stages. And what ends up happening is that for, uh, for the first few months of implementation of this to, to, to try to detect insider threats is oftentimes it ends up becoming somewhat, somewhat like a science project and, and it's not providing real actionable insight, in, uh, insight into insider threats, mainly because what, what I've seen, in, in, especially in larger organizations, is that they have a, what they call it, like I've even heard one client refer to it as a, a rat's nest of data. And if you feed that into a tool, you're only going to be as good as, as uh, the resource that you have to train it. Um, and then that, obviously that's resource intensive and, and, that, and that becomes a, a bit of a mess. So having, having the ability to be able to quickly identify threats and, and remediate them is what I've seen organizations uh, move to. Um, but I, but I, like I said, I certainly see the, uh, the benefit in the, in the technologies down the road. I think that uh, I think that your point of like the data sets to actually train the algorithms is is incredibly like on point, and and the reason why is and you know I, I kind of see what's going on with like Silence and then Microsoft and some of these is a lot of these endpoint security vendors basically are feeding data into their algorithms to make better determinations as far as what's good and what's bad, right? And then Microsoft enters the water and they're dealing with a billion systems. That's going to be very hard to try to compete with that level of data set whenever we're just trying to talk about malware. Whenever you're talking about humans, I think, like like you said, I think that this gets infinitely more difficult because the number of ways that a human being that's an insider in your organization can actually harm your organization uh, is actually – it's far more varied. So that makes trying to mm -hmm. generate uh, an algorithm or actually feed a data set into an algorithm to actually identify a pattern that much more difficult. And I'm curious, yep. uh, you know, you, you talk about you see that there is some type of value in it and possibly going to be there at some point. Do you think that that technology for identifying insiders is a year out, two years out, five years out, 10 years out? What's your thoughts? Um, so, so, yeah, so to just to reiterate, reiterate your point. Yeah, like I, I completely agree. Like it, so it depends on the user's job role, right? Like if you have a, a user's job role that has expected functions, then you typically see some great success. So like one job role that comes to mind is like a bank teller, uh, maybe limited access, only should be able to do limited things. It's very finite uh, in terms of what that user can do. I think that these technologies within the coming years can very, very easily address uh, job functions such as that. And, and if they step out of bounds for their day-to-day -day job, um, you can start seeing some great success with these, with these tools even now. Uh, but when we're talking about someone who has highly privileged access or, or a job function like a developer, who are very unpredictable uh, and you can't really get a good baseline to, it's, it's challenging. I think that we are a few years out before that, before the um, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence technologies can address insider threat that have higher privilege, that have authorized access and have a really freedom within the organization to, uh, to do whatever they want. So another question, um, how do you differentiate? Like One of the things I like to say is if your organization can't identify an insider threat, then they probably can't identify an actual attacker that's taken over a system. So how would you identify you know, an insider threat versus an account that's being used like a puppet by an attacker out online? Yeah. Great question. And, and I, I, that's, an, that's an amazing question. I, I refer to that as a, a compromised insider. That, that's something that immediately comes up. And and one of the one of the first questions that I was asked uh, at CERT and that they posed it to the, the trainees was, would you be able to detect if a authorized insider was purposely introducing malware to your organization? And if you could detect that, would you know that they did it on purpose? And I always found that question uh, very thought provoking. Um, and it's like, how would you go about it if someone was actu actually doing this? 
Um, but so I think that if you would have to use a, a combination of tools and everything that you have at your disposal to obviously ensure that you have the control sets in place to prevent the threat from coming in, but also to be able to investigate it from the user lens and the user aspect to, to see exactly what occurred. Cool. Uh, another question, uh, just kind of got another one to roll on. One of the things that I've always found difficult with with customers whenever they're discussing insider threat programs is we have a few very, very high profile cases that everyone can then point can point to. But a lot of executives will say, yeah, well, you know, Edward Snowden, that's a, you know, that's that's a black swan event. No one can can be prepared for that. How and, and you and we all know that these insider threat attacks do happen a lot more, but they're not as published as a lot of other attacks may be. Uh, a lot of times they're just kind of dealt with quietly internally. Legal shuts everything down. So how do you actually work with people to make them understand that this type of threat is not something that's just the Edward Snowden type thing or Ames or Hennison? It's it's actually something that is happening a lot. It's just not as reported. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, right? So like Edward Snowden is the, the poster boy, and the the, the it's pretty much synonymous with the, the term insider threat, right? Uh, but the but the reality is is that the malicious insider threat is very rare, and it certainly can happen, can and does happen. Um, but it, but it is very rare, and and the truth is the majority of these insider threat incidents are, are completely accidental. Um, but no, it's a, nonetheless it is a threat, and and you do have to address it. So um, the high frequency of users accidentally putting data into their like let's say like their their Dropbox account happens so often. And they're actually putting the business at risk, and and, and it happens so frequently that you ha it has to be identified and addressed. So, <laughs> something I some, something I immediately think of is like I was I was recently at a show where someone asked the audience how many people have a security policy that prohibits you copying data to a cloud storage application, uh, and everyone raised their hand, and he's like, okay, let me ask another question. Uh, how many people bypass that? And everyone kind of like did one of these things where they just kind of still kept it up and said, yeah, I, I do do it. Um, I know it's bad, but uh, it's very convenient for me. Um, so looking at. Looking I, I, at I may also have a follow up to that question. Sorry to interrupt. Um, but how many of you have a, a policy in your organization that prevents that that prohibits you from using cloud storage applications? How many in your organization use it and can you detect it? Ooh. Oh, wow. I, I think that, I think that, but, 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 okay. But this also gets into the CASB issue too. If you have people using it, if you come up with an authorized storage service, like you're using something like Box or Dropbox, um, and this kind of springing, springboarding um, off a little bit as well, do you have any, any ability for visibility into what's happening on those platforms? And that's where a lot of organizations near as we can tell are completely blind. And I'll just throw BHIS in. Hell, whenever we were using kind of shared folders for our customers, and Joff can can back me up on this, initially it was an absolute nightmare. We had to go to a very high-tiered price plan to get to the point where we had the security features that made our customers happy and the visibility that was absolutely essential for our administrators to actually track what was being tracked and where documents were going. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just this huge black hole uh, that just absolutely everybody throws everything out on the cloud as much as possible because they don't have to deal with the security controls locally. Yeah, and and that's an amazing point. And oftentimes, um, when you do have to remediate these, you have to involve the other teams like legal and HR. 
and try 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 showing like a Windows audit log or, or any type of logs that you're pulling into your SIM tool today to legal and HR. I, I promise you'll put them to sleep within the first minute of pulling <laughs> pulling that up. Um, and my point being is that trying to figure out the intent of the of these particular actions, like was this person innocently trying to work from home after hours, or is this person taking data outside the organization to sell it to a competitor? Um, having the ability to make that determination is is, is extremely challenging. So I have one follow-up to that, which would be um, for those non-accidental insider threats, how many of them would you say are recruited versus maybe are plants, right? Like somebody's trying to do um, intelligence on behalf of another company, and so they've now been hired accordingly uh, into your company to then exfiltrate data. Yeah, yeah. and um, from from the intelligence organizations that I have spoken to, it, it does it does happen. But because in, uh, organizations choose to handle this internally, uh, so often that the stats kind of get blurry. So to be honest, I don't have a great answer for that. Um, but you know, as 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 we continue to build out the and educate users on the insider threat problem, and uh, working groups tend to to, to spring up. Um, hopefully, we can get some greater insight into that. And I know, like I said, CERT Carnegie Mellon University has some has some great information. Um, on uh, like an anonymous submissions for over a thousand insider threat use cases or cases rather that have um, have spun up over the past I believe it's 20 years um, so they have the best aggregation point to, to pull that data today um, but like I said unfortunately we don't have that great of insight into it because so often it is handled internally and and that data isn't available to us so I got one yeah, last big... question that's kind of a go back that just kind of hit me as weird um, you mentioned an, like analyzing the dark web, and I think a lot of people believe in in computer security that the dark web is like the cantina in Star Wars. Larry throwing it out <laughs> to you, Wretched hive of scum and villainy, places. my friend. Yeah, there's like this bad yeah. places where oh well, we go on this IRC channel, and that's where all the bad hackers hang out, yep. and that's where we watch for all these things, and they're gonna bring up your company, and they're gonna be like, hey guys, let's get Boba Fett and let's go hack this bank. <laughs> um, that's yeah. not how it works, of course. Exactly. What? How does it work in this perspective? Yeah, and um, so a, a great report that came up. Uh, it was actually written end of 2017, I believe. It's the ICT ICIT report. Uh, the the insider threat ep epidemic begins, and they pulled some samples of people trying and looking for um, uh, users in within organizations um, to commit a unauthorized activity. So, for instance. Uh, without naming corporate names, like someone um, was trying to recruit someone uh, working at a bank to provide their credentials to them, and they pay uh, like ten Bitcoin. Actually, that's probably too high at this point. Maybe maybe a Bitcoin at this point, right? Or whatever <laughs> yeah. it would be, right? Economies of uh, scale. Oh, I'll give it to you for that. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, 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 so there are in the same report that was like, I could give you a candy bar for your password or something to your yeah. system, right? Like it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so and that's a great question, right? Like, like how much would you sell your password for? Is it would it be a dollar? Would it be ten thousand dollars? Would it be a million? Well, so you would. It's just a matter of negotiation. So it's like, <laughs> like people will give their passwords <laughs> up, and if like people are willing to pay for it, I mean, you know, how, you know, when does it stop? And and do, are they even aware of what they're doing by giving that up? Is uh, is is why insider threat is such a challenging problem, right? Yeah. What's yeah. that? What's that old joke? Is that. Uh... Uh, you, you ask uh, someone to sleep with you and you say, would you sleep with me for a million dollars? Well, sure. Well, would you do it for a dollar? No. What kind of person do you think I am? Well, we've already established that. We're just haggling over the price. <laughs> yeah. But, so, you know, what password are you going to give up? Well, would you do it for a million dollars? Sure. Would you do it for a dollar? No. Well, we know what kind of person you are. We're just haggling over the price. 
exactly. And, and not, on, not only that, but there's also the scenario of the uh, ex-insider threat where you have somebody that recently left the company and now has all of this knowledge that he brings to a third party to then abuse. We've seen this, for example, the case of the uh, reporter who gave the, uh, the passwords for the CMS of the news agency that he used to work for so the hackers could log in and modify some news. I believe yeah. that was anonymous and it was uh, yeah. LA Times, if I'm not mistaken. I from think the so. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's something that, that does come up. And uh, uh, I'm sure you guys are Mr. Robot fans. I actually recently did a webinar on scenes in Mr. Robot and uh, kind of diagnosed and picked through them. And in one of the scenes, a, an ex-police uh, officer still maintains access to, to looking up and pulling VIN numbers. Um, so and imagine if, you, if someone had access like that retained after someone departs from the organization. That's absolutely considered an insider threat, and, and it has to be considered within your program for sure, is how do you decommission accounts? How do you decommission access when users depart from an organization? Otherwise, again, it could come back to bite you, like you mentioned. Yeah. In so, fact, I actually seen this very recently. I have a friend who is, uh, his company is going through a transition. They're moving a lot of stuff to the cloud, and the problem that he's having is just putting controls over the dev team. The dev team uh, are going like, no, we want to use GitLab. Why? Uh, we're going to work with a GitHub and go, no, no, we want to work with GitLab. And then as the IT team is transitioning to set up everything with SAML, uh, single login, two-factor authentication, here comes Dev and start doing stuff that they're not supposed to setting up in other cloud infrastructures and the stuff that the IT team does not know, person leaves. They decommission all of the accounts and the systems that they do know and the system they do control, but there are all of these other islands that that account actually lived for three months. And that employee actually even had access and they could see that he logged in, he looked at source code, he did pull request, uh, he did um, uh, pulls and updated his uh, copies of the source code and everything. Yeah, and, and that brings up a kind of kind of tailwinding off of that same idea is like monitoring contractors, vendors, uh, and anyone really who has access to critical critical assets and systems. It's just if, if there's not some accountability there, um, configuration mistakes can happen, or someone could sabotage a system, um, which is again another aspect of insider threat that that often gets overlooked um, because so much of a lot of times what I found is that so much of the security is is focused on the uh, external threat that sometimes insider threats do get do get overlooked like that and I get it there's uh, there's so many more external threats that, that you have to worry about but I feel that insider threats are, are far more dangerous because they've already been granted authorized access hey so um, I have a question for you and I, I don't know that I've heard it very clearly expressed tonight I don't think we asked it correctly but go ahead Joff I know what you're gonna say yeah um, and this is quite literally channeling Michael Santa Colangelo, so I'm sorry for doing this. <laughs> How tall do you have yeah. to be to ride this ride? Yeah. He's pretty short, so, so it's not very tall. So the, so the question is this. I've heard this term inside a threat a lot, but can you really define for us what is the actual problem you're trying to solve? <laughs> Joff, that's, <laughs> great, that's great because as soon as I asked, where do we start? I'm saying, well, we should probably define what an insider threat is first. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'll let you address that. <laughs> So as far as our, our solution goes, uh, our solution um, detects insider threats 
helps streamline the investigation process and stop data loss. Because what we're finding is that the majority of uh, concern around inside threats is data leaving an organization. Um, so the problem that we saw we help solve is we help um, companies identify and address insider threats. Okay, so so you're saying detect, prevent data loss in the process. So trying to get that full cycle from an insider threat. Have I got that right? Yep. Yeah, that, that's correct. Yeah. So essentially, um, detect insider threats, streamline the investigation to have a clear understanding of it, and then empower security teams with the appropriate tools to effectively respond. So, you know, I know we've talked about a lot of things, but do you, uh, in, the, in the balance of the equation, how much of that process is automated technology versus human interaction and manual process? Yeah, and, and that's a great question. Um, so, so it is a blend. Um, so like I said, uh, we have some, we've developed something called our insider threat library that out of the box will automate, automatically detect uh, potential indicators of an insider threat. Um, and these can certainly be tuned and mapped to past incidents seen within an organization. Um, it can be built out based on stuff that you want to proactively be alerted uh, against. Um, but as soon as, as soon as one of these alerts takes place, um, what our tool aims to do is streamline the investigation process. So what we, we are finding is that oftentimes today, uh, there's not a good solution to quickly investigate what happened. It could take hours. It could take days. I've even worked with an organization where it would take them a month to pull the correct log files, pull the system, forensically investigate and figure out what happened. So making that, decreasing that time to, that it takes to investigate uh, is something that our, tool, that our tool aims to address, as well as and when it does happen and you do investigate and address these, uh, put the proper control sets in place so it doesn't happen again. Okay, so so your your value add to be everybody drink right now uh, <laughs> is, is to accelerate that process, right? To shorten that cycle uh, so that people can do that more efficiently. Uh, I think that's what I heard with your answer. Yep. Yeah, that, that's exactly correct. <laughs> Sorry for the winded answer. No, um, no, no that's problem fine. at all. We probably should have started with that, but we yeah, just we kind of straight. <laughs> we probably should have. I mean, and we, we, we had a realization along the way, at least I did anyway. It was like, hey, wait, we haven't asked him what the hell he's trying to solve here. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, and, uh, and Joff, yeah. I, had that, I had that as he was responding to the first question that I asked. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we should probably ask him what the – yeah. <sighs> okay, back to Larry. Back to Larry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with, with that – I think we're uh, we're running close on time, but Kevin, uh, we have a couple things we want to do before we before we let you go. Uh, the big one is uh, where can we find out more uh, about Observe It? Uh, where can we find you? Maybe at an upcoming conference? Um, what other cool things are you working on right now? Yeah, no, awesome. Yeah, so uh, you can pop over to observeit.com. We actually, I actually just implemented a the ability to instantly test drive the product in our, in right in the browser. So go there. It takes about one minute. Click the button. Uh, you can play around with our tool, and you can see exactly how the uh, the, the solution identifies and addresses insider threats. Um, the next show I'll be at, I believe it's RSA coming up. Um, I'm actually traveling internationally for some uh, international uh, technology enablement. Uh, actually, we'll be in Germany. I heard you mention that in the beginning of the show. Uh, but the next uh, stateside show I'll be at is at RSA, and we're going to have a, an exciting booth. So feel free to stop by there. Uh, uh, come RSA. Excellent. Excellent. So before we go, are you ready to play five questions with Security Weekly? No, you don't have a choice. Yeah. You are ready. To five <laughs> that's a, that's a good point. Works. <laughs> All right. So, Kevin, three words to describe yourself. 
passionate, uh, exciting, uh, enjoy, enjoying the ride. Uh, we didn't know you were a male prostitute. Whoa, go ahead whoa, whoa. <laughs> if you wrote a book about, <laughs> if you wrote a book about yourself, what would the title wow. be? Uh, the bad boy of tech. Oh, okay. So this next question fits in and maybe so does the next one. Um, uh, if you were a serial killer, what's your weapon of choice? Katana. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, nice. that's kind of a bad Classy. boy answer. Classy. Uh, yeah. More more importantly, uh, in the popular game of Ask Grabby Grabby, do you prefer to go first or second? I guess I'm going to go second. Oh, wow. All right. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Says a lot. Says yep. a lot. And, uh, and finally, name two celebrities to be your parents, dead, alive, fictional, or otherwise. Tom Brady and Giselle wow. Bunchy. I'm so wow. I'm so disappointed. Wow. Now, is this the Tom Brady with five fingers or six fingers? He's going to need six fingers uh, after uh, come, come two weeks, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, at least for all of us in the New England area and everybody else yeah. could care less, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we all awesome. pretty much hate you. <laughs> Pakistan, Harvard Yard. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. You get fucking arrested. <laughs> all right. uh, Kevin, thanks so much for for coming by uh, and, and spending some time with us. Great to to learn about some insider threat detection and, and all that great stuff. And uh, hope to have you back here soon. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited. And, and go Patriots! Like I said, as I alluded to, oh, my uh, parents really. Yes, John, really. Yes, John, really. He had to do it. They hate us because they ain't us. That's just what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in a few with a fantastic technical segment from Mr. John Strand. (laughs) 